0: just really, really discouraging low times in my life. And both times, I had men who encouraged me and lifted me up in prayer and helped me and and, uh, gave me the right hand of uh, just just lifted me up and kept me going. I can point to people like that. I think we all can. Those are true friends. We also know that when we get into a... uh, Have you ever found out that trials can point your real friends out pretty quick? When you go through a really deep trial, you usually figure out who your real friends are because some people will come and kick you while you're down and others will help you up and lift you up. That's a t- true type of friend. Others need that encouragement from us as well. And so I ask tonight, how can we be a friend that encourages? One of the greatest tools that we can use to build up others is simply encouraging words. Proverbs twenty five eleven. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Proverbs fifteen twenty three. a word spoken in due season. How good is it? I think we can identify with that. When we're discouraged or we're down and somebody calls and encourages us. An encouraging word from a friend can make such a huge impact in our life. William Arthur Ward said, Flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will not forget you. And I think we can identify with that as well. Would you be the one who takes the time this week to encourage someone that needs to be lifted up? By the way, you might hear that and say, Pastor, I need encouragement. You know, one of the things that will encourage you is if you encourage someone else. It really does help. Luciano Pavarotti, he was a is a well-known, famous opera star, Almost missed his calling. As a young man, he taught elementary school. And he would occasionally sing, but not as a career choice. He would just do it because he enjoyed it. But several people made a difference in his life. One was his grandmother who, when he was a boy, would sit him on her lap. And she would over and over tell him, you're going to be great one day. One day the whole world will know your name. It was his father who encouraged him to devote more time to singing. Pavarotti says, if I hadn't listened to my father and dropped teaching, I would not be here. Yes, my teacher groomed me, but no one told me I would become great but my grandmother. You'll never know how your words will affect someone. Uh, Lift them up and set them on the right path for the Lord Jesus Christ. I really believe this with all my heart that we've had people that come here that are not here today because they didn't get the proper encouragement. And uh, maybe all it would have taken is someone to just get behind him and put their armor on him, give some words of encouragement. The Bible records many times that great men in the Bible needed encouragement. Moses, probably one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, he needed encouragement. In battle between Israel and Amalek, God used the support of Moses' friends to make a difference. The Bible says in Exodus seventeen nine, And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us out men to go and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Remember that story? And when he got tired and the rod came down, Israel started to lose. And so he kept putting his hand up. But have you ever lifted something up for a long, long time? I always feel sorry for the Statue of Liberty. Uh, it never gets a break. But you ever held something up for a long time? You get to a point where you can't do it anymore. And you know what? His friends, Aaron and Hur, they got up beside him and they each lifted his hand up with him. And, and there they were able to see victory in that battle. The Bible says Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat there and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. A lot of times our hands can only be steady when we have friends by our sides supporting us. And I'm asking you to be that friend. Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands supporting him. Moses' friends encouraged him with their support. You may not be up front doing the preaching. You may not hold an office in the church. You may not teach a Sunday school class, but you can still do a lot for the Lord's work by encouraging someone. Uh, Just giving him a kind word. David David, the greatest king of Israel that was ever, uh, that they ever had, uh, needed encouragement. Saul, the king of Israel, was determined to wipe out the competition. And so David ran for his life. But Jonathan, Saul's firstborn son, the Bible says, loved David as his own soul. Jonathan had the right to be the next king but he loved David so much and he was such a friend that uh he we read in 1 Samuel 23:16 that Jonathan went to David and strengthened his hand in God. Sometimes the best thing you can do no better gift you can give a friend than to strengthen their hand in God. Give them an encouraging word. The disciples, how many times did they need encouragement as they're walking with Christ? John 14, 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And and he he proceeded to give that passage we still read at funerals uh, because of the encouraging words in it. And then Jesus himself needed encouragement. Hours before the crucifixion, Jesus is agonizing in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane It was there, the Bible says, that his sweat came out as it were great drops of blood. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, the Bible says, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Even Jesus needed that friend, that encouragement. I've told you this before, but I just love this illustration because one of my heroes, earthly heroes, is Abraham Lincoln. And when Abraham Lincoln, the night he was assassinated, they... Uh, took note what was in his pockets. And among the other things that he took out of his pocket was newspaper clippings that he had stashed in his wallet stating that he was a great leader. Oh, he heard much negatives. He heard a lot of... uh, CNN ain't the first one to try to trash a president, amen? So uh, he heard a lot of negatives, but he picked those few articles because even a man as great as Abraham Lincoln needed encouragement. Everyone needs encouragement. Will you build the lives of others by being an encourager? Will you impact somebody else with a kind word? So there's encouragement. Then there's edifying I mentioned. The word edify means to instruct, especially to encourage moral or spiritual improvement. The word edify comes from a Latin word that means build. That's the idea. That's what the church's job is, to edify the saints, to build, to grow, to encourage, to improvement and development. We need to allow God to use us to build friends up for Him. Uh, that what he would have them to be, to help them in their growth. The book of Esther, we just went through it on Sunday morning and and uh, what a thrilling story that is. You know how Esther and Mordecai were there in the land and then this Haman fella got all uh, caught up in his own power and he decided to have the Jews eradicated. And uh, he tricked the king into destroying all of the Jews and uh, or set him on that path. And so God used Esther to turn the king's heart. She might have never done it though except for her cousin Mordecai's encouraging words. He came to her and said this, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And here it is, And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And Esther took that encouragement, took it to heart, and she saved an entire generation She saved her people from destruction. Uh, What Esther thought the task before her was absolutely impossible, God used the encouragement of someone else to bring her to understand the purpose that God had for her life. Let me tell you, encouraging and edifying somebody else can make a great impact in their life. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17, the Bible says, Iron sharpeneth iron, and so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. A godly friend has the power to increase the effectiveness of another person through words of edification. So, a couple of questions. Do you help your friends grow in the Lord? That'd be a great way to impact them. Are you a friend who helps others grow? What if we were a church family? who edified one another to grow in Christ. That'd be something, wouldn't it? And by the way, I think we do, and that's good. We can always do better, though, uh, edifying one another to grow in Christ. So a friend is encouraging and edifying. Secondly, a friend goes the second mile. Friendship goes beyond the call of duty. It volunteers a person for uh, service. Uh, Matthew five forty one: "...for whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile..." Go with him twain. In other words, do more than is expected. Do more than is required. The second mile. We all understand what the second mile is. By the way, there's no traffic jams on the second mile. Lots of traffic jams on the first mile. There's no traffic. It's empty up there. So if you reside in the second mile, it'll help you. Uh, a, A friend that goes the second mile will fill needs. Friendship and love, they're not just feelings but a willingness to meet another person's needs. There are Bible examples, many all throughout the Bible, of people who met the needs of others. We talked this morning, just a moment, about the Good Samaritan. And uh, when the Good Samaritan was attacked and beaten and left for dead by the highway, a priest came by and he sees him and and uh, looks on him and probably had pity on him. He said something, uh, we don't know what he said exactly, but probably something like, poor guy, that's what you get when you hang around with the wrong people hope somebody helps him, and he goes on his merry way. A Levite comes along, also looks on this man, and, and uh, wow, he looks unclean with all that blood. Uh, I certainly can't touch him, but I hope somebody comes along and takes care of him. And we don't know what was going on in their minds, but they saw a man in need, and they just kept on their way. The Samaritan came, and in Luke 10, 33, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan all saw the same man in need. The man who could have dwelled on the injustice of the discrimination the hurt man had against his people. The Samaritan, if you understand the Jews and the Samaritans' relationship. He could have looked in the one who was least likely to help, he could have said, good on him. It's about time something happens to a Jew like that. That's what he could have said. Because the man that was in the ditch hated the type of person he was. But he didn't. He's the one that helped. Compassion is more than pity. And he was a friend to him. Compassion literally means to suffer with. Peter Ustinov said this. Charity is more common than compassion. Charity, he says, is more common than compassion. Charity is tax deductible. Compassion is time-consuming. A lot of people give charity that don't have any compassion. It takes some consuming time and effort to be that second-mile friend, uh, and we need to look for the needs of our friends and do whatever we can to fill those needs even before we are asked. Let me tell you tonight, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. But if you want to be happy, practice compassion. It'll work both ways. It'll help you in your life, I promise. And then a good friend is patient, long-suffering. He doesn't give up. Think of Jesus with all of his infinite patience with his disciples. Of course, think of Jesus with all his infinite patience with us as well. Uh, He has that time and time again They disappointed him with their stubbornness, their ignorance, their lack of faith. He rebuked them sometimes, but he never gave up on them. And how patient he is with us, we all are in need of his patience. Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Like the potter who patiently shapes and reshapes the clay, uh, the Lord is patient in his dealings with us. One outstanding characteristic of a friend. It, it it takes time, it takes effort uh, for, I talked about the potter there, uh, to make something worthwhile, any craftsman like that. Michelangelo worked for four years to paint the Sistine Chapel. Mount Rushmore was carved over a period of 14 years. Washington Monument took 36 years to complete. What would be missing in our culture and our society today if these workmen would have given up on those projects after a couple of years? These works of art are a testament of the patience required in design and construction. And our lives, friends, our lives are a testament to God's patience with us as well. And yet we are quick to accept all of God's patience on our behalf and willing to offer none on anybody else's behalf. Shame on us. We ought to have patience with others. How easily we get frustrated with our friends. Remember God's patience toward us. You could be the friend that has the patience to encourage another to greater growth. A true friend accepts you as you are, but he also helps you become what you should be. So a friend is encouraging and edifying. A friend goes the second mile. Thirdly, a friend is faithful. A friend is faithful. A faithful friend is an incredible, incredible gift. To be a faithful friend is an incredibly difficult task. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loveth at all times. A brother is born for adversity. <laughs> true that, amen? Brothers, there can be a lot of adversity, but a friend says loveth at all times. In times of prosperity or poverty, joy or sorrow, health or illness, a true friend will remain Faithful. Proverbs twenty seven, ten. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not, neither go into thy brother's house in the day of thy calamity. In the Bible Sylvanus is a biblical example of a friend. Uh, First Peter five twelve, he specifically referred to that man as a faithful brother unto you. Now the name Sylvanus is the Long uh, form of the name Silas. This was quite possibly the same man that spent time with in prison with Paul in Acts 16. But certainly Silas was a faithful friend, willing to share in persecution and shame. What would Silas have missed if he hadn't been a faithful friend? What would Paul have missed if Silas wouldn't have been a faithful friend? Uh, we we ought to be that friend to one another. Are you a faithful friend tonight? Uh, Fourthly, a friend is forgiving. Now, who has not needed forgiveness from his friends? I have. Probably all of us in here have. We can so easily wound others with our careless words. Who hasn't needed forgiveness from a friend? Uh, We appreciated uh, when our friends extend forgiveness to us. Sometimes we think, well, that's natural. It's me after all. But we ought to be as, we ought to demonstrate as quick an attitude of forgiveness toward others as well. Jesus Christ, again, is the greatest example for, for forgiving his friends. During his darkest hour, according to Matthew chapter 26, all of his disciples forsook him. All of them. Peter denied him three times. Only John is mentioned as being present at the cross. But witness that tender scene. After Jesus is risen from the dead and He comes to His disciples after His resurrection in John chapter 20, verse 19, that same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. I I don't know, but maybe some of us would have appeared unto them and said, Really? After all I've done for you for three years, you all run? But He didn't. He forgave them, said, peace be unto you. No lecture, no complaining, just forgiveness. And how do the disciples respond when they experience that forgiveness? Next verse, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. He even forgave Thomas the next week for Thomas' doubting. Could any of uh, our friends treat us as badly as Jesus' friends treated him? No. Is there any reason we can't forgive? No. We just don't, but we should. The Bible goes far enough to say that if we insist on being unforgiving, we won't be forgiven. Matthew 6, 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. A friend is forgiving, even if others don't always deserve it. And really, truthfully, do any of us deserve forgiveness? No. Ephesians 4, 32, And be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. God has allowed us to build relationships with others, to sharpen, to encourage, and to challenge others. We ought to wisely use the influence that we have to make an impact and be a godly friend to others. I'll read you a story. I think I might have shared this with you a couple of years ago, but I, I love this story. It's, so, it's such a touching story. It's a story of a teacher that one day asked her students to list all the other students in the class on a sheet of paper. And then to take that sheet of paper and think of the nicest thing that they could say about each one of their classmates and write it down. It took the remainder of the class to finish their assignments. And then the teacher collected those assignments. And then on a separate piece of paper wrote each child's name, one piece of paper for each child, and wrote all the nice things the other kids said about that child on that paper and then handed those out. On Monday uh, she gave each student his or her list and before long the whole class was smiling. No one ever mentioned those papers or that assignment in class again. She never knew if they discussed them after the fact or if they even remembered it. The group of students moved on, graduated high school, and went into their lives. And, and uh, several years later, one of those students was killed in Vietnam. And this teacher attended the funeral. The church was packed with his friends, many of those students that she had taught in school. And one by one, those that loved him the most took the last walk by the coffin. The teacher was the last one to walk by. And as she stood there, one of the soldiers who acted as the pallbearer came up to her and and asked, were you Mark's teacher? She said, yes, I was. And he said, man, Mark talked so much about you. After the funeral, they all went into the lunchroom and Mark's father, uh, the one that passed away, came and said, I want to show you something to this teacher and took his wallet out of the pocket. And he said, they found this on Mark." the day that he was killed, and we thought you might recognize it. Carefully, he removed two worn pieces of notebook paper, obviously had been folded and unfolded and refolded many, many times. The teacher knew before she saw it exactly what it was. Mark's mother said, thank you so much for that assignment. Mark treasured that sheet of paper. And then the other former classmates of Mark started to gather around a, a One named Charlie smiled sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's on in my top drawer of my desk at home. One wife says, My husband Chuck had me put his list in our wedding album. Marilyn said, I have mine too. It's in my diary. Another classmate, Vicky, said, reached in her purse and she pulled out her frazzled list. Says, I never go anywhere without it. This teacher sat down and wept. She wept for Mark and for all his friends who would never see him again. And most of all, for that little assignment she had and how much it meant to them. I ask you tonight, if we make an effort to be a friend, what a difference we can make in someone's life. Are you putting an effort into making a friend or being a friend, the proper friend to others? We have uh, people in here tonight, I say this often uh, and I think about this almost every week, uh, especially on Sunday morning, as we have a more packed audience. But if we could just open up the hearts of everybody here—the heartache, the struggles, the trials, the hurt—might overwhelm us. People come in with a smile on, and they, you know everything's fine, and they shake hands. They carry their Bible. They're dressed good. And, but inside, there's there's heartbreak and brokenness and pain. We can make a difference. If instead of being critical, instead of trying to find and, and point out the trouble in someone else, if we can just encourage other people and be a friend, we'll make an impact if we're that friend to others. Amen? Let's do it. Father, we thank you. We thank you first of all and foremost for being a friend. You, Jesus, as, as you were on earth, said that uh, you call us your friends. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us be the type of friend to one another that you are to us. Help us be uh, to be forgiving. Help us to be encouraging. Help us to be edifying. Help us, Lord, to help one another grow and always lifting each other up, never tearing each other down. I thank you for a church like we have, one that is invested in growing people for the cause of Christ. We ask you tonight as we go throughout the rest of our evening until we meet again, that you'd help us to be a testimony of your grace To a lost and dying world around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.